Hello and welcome back to Everyday Anarchism, the show that finds anarchism, cooperation, mutual aid, non-domination in your everyday life. I am your host, Graham Colbertson. For this week's episode, I'm doing another in my series on higher education and the way that the institution that was the most anarchist institution in the mid-20th century has become the realm of bureaucracy, managerialism, and metrics. Here to talk with me about how education could and should be a gift that we do in common, as opposed to a commodity in capitalism, is Andreas Vittel of Nottingham Trent University. Please enjoy our conversation after the music. speaking today with Dr. Andreas Vittel. Uh, Dr. Vittel is a senior lecturer in the School of Arts and Humanities at Nottingham Trent University, where he teaches and supervises graduate students in media and globalization. His current work focuses on the intersection of culture, education, and the digital commons. I've invited him on the show today to discuss his thinking on workplaces, education, and the commons and democratic practices as they exist in our current institutions. Andreas, thank you for joining me. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me um, on your podcast. Oh, it's such a it's such a pleasure. So I thought I might just start by asking you to talk a little bit about this idea of education as gift that you wrote a recent article about, because that was what really uh, attracted me to your work. Okay, so I think the first thing um, I should say, you know, you 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 said I'm I'm focusing on education in my work. I'm not really focusing on education in my work. I'm um, uh, I'm very interested in in education and uh, and talk to students about it a lot. But um, I've only kind of really done this one article, um, and it's it's a it was a sort of kind of extension from my interest in in the comments and in commenting, thinking about how to how to sort of um, how to sort of kind of you know rethink you know commenting in 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 the system of education and higher education. And um, so- Shall um, we start with commoning then? And then we can take it to education? No, I think, I think, I think, I think we can do this. I'm sort of kind of just trying to, to explain where, 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 where I'm coming from. Um, I'm, I'm German. I've, um, I've moved to the UK in 98. So I've been here now for 24 years, nearly 23. And um, I have sort of kind of witnessed the whole move away from a public funded university mm -hmm. to, to the market, you know, to higher education as a commodity, as a, as a market. And, um, and I got really interested and I wanted to kind of, you know, see this kind of, you know, I wanted to see what's happened, what happens um, while I would always prefer the kind of you know public university to what we're having now. The public university was never perfect, um, <laughs> and, and uh, I sort of kind of really like kind of Bourdieu's work on on how sort of kind of uh, how education upheld the class system, which is you know which is not a good thing. Um, so um, that's that's where my kind of idea. Um, came from to kind of think about is there a third way to kind of organize education and and um, we could we could talk about that a little bit maybe later in in sort of kind of school education primary school secondary school a sort of kind of commons an education well, commons would be much easier to organize than um, on a sort of kind of university level and I you know that has a lot to do because the kind of labor is so specialized and, uh, you know, lots of people could kind of teach on, on sixth form or so, um, math or English or whatever, you know, that you, you wouldn't kind of totally kind of come out of your comfort zone, but you know, it's very hard, you know, to teach, um, sort of, you know, on the sort of university level, I think. And, 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 and that's, you know, and that's where the problem is. 
So I would I would argue, Andreas, it's probably not that difficult to teach at the university level, except that we have defined university level teaching as this incredibly specialized specialized thing. We've done we've done away with generalists, and you can't teach at the university unless you have written three hundred pages on some obscure topic that no one else cares about. I would be happy to do away with that element of university teaching as as well. I don't know how you feel. No, I think I think I think this is a fair point, and um, you know this this. Uh, this brings us to the question of kind of you know expert knowledge and yes. um which there is lots of people who kind of you know reject that you know for example um ivan illich you know wrote about deschooling society and uh and john holt is also kind of not a big fan of expert knowledge. you know there is um there is a good number of um of critiques of that um of that knowledge and and i and i think i i I have a lot of sympathy for it, but I also have a lot of sympathy for um, expertise, and I do not think that um, everybody can fly an airplane. So <laughs> I, 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 I would feel much better if I'm sitting in an airplane that I know the pilot had a kind of you know had a proper education how to fly the airplane. It's not so easy, you know. So it's I think in the social sciences, it's probably it's probably easier to suggest what you suggest. Um, whereas as soon as we move to kind of science, it's maybe um, it's maybe a little bit more difficult. Perhaps, perhaps uh, this is certainly not what I uh, brought you on the show to talk about, but this, this actually came up a little bit. I'm doing sort of a series on higher education. I spoke to Liz Morish, who I know you know, and also uh, William Derizowitz, a former Yale professor and now critic of elite education. And I also taught at a, a STEM academy, you know, high, high school students, but we're preparing for careers in STEM. And they all say, well, you can't really do this in sciences. But then if you look at something like the World Health Organization uh, during the COVID crisis, and there were just people on that board, Andreas, experts who just thought that the solution to COVID was hand washing. And they thought that because they were in these silos of knowledge that had for decades, rewarded publications that said hand washing was the way to stop viruses like the coronavirus, and there was lots of research that suggested it was wrong. And the and the experts said, well, that research was wrong because they were the experts. So I'm I'm sympathetic with you to expertise, but I feel like I'm surrounded by idiot experts all the time. And these uh, pans to expertise in in a world in which the it took the World Health Organization a year to acknowledge how COVID was being transmitted because the experts didn't like the answer. It's hard to defend expertise for me right now. I don't know. I I, I hear you, but um and I I think yes at the beginning at the beginning hand washing was massively overemphasized. But I think I think so, you know, it's it started all sort of in March last year, you know, one and a half years ago. And I think by by summer it became clear that you know the main you know the main thing we kind of you know really need to kind of you know think about is sort of kind of transmission oh I, I, breathing I, and 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 ventilation and you know and all that sort of stuff and i so i think um i think the exports have have learned fairly quickly um but perhaps. you know fair enough they probably you know many of them should have should have done better but um it, it 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 was a new thing. So I'm what I'm saying is I, I I totally agree with you that you know lots of kind of you know experts aren't aren't really experts. But um, I cannot so totally do away with the idea of expertise. I think it has a place in such a kind of you know special specialized world in 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 which we live. Whether you kind of you know think about surgeons in operating theaters, um, you want someone who has been kind of trained you know to do this stuff otherwise <laughs> I, uh, I i completely agree i do think our educational system especially higher ed has gotten too narrow in its in its definition of expertise and its mm. paths towards expertise um but in that sense no i'm not i'm not arguing that we shouldn't have scientists doctors and and engineers but i do think we could train them in a in a less narrow way i actually I want to move from this to talk about Bordeaux because I don't think the listeners of the podcast are going to know what what you're talking about with this critique of education as you know so socialization of an upper class. So do you want to take a moment to 
explaining yes. that, that idea. Yes. So Bourdieu has written a book, um, one of his first kind of, you know, maybe his first kind of really important work um, with a lot of empirical research that, that is called Distinction. Mm-hmm. And in this book is a sort of, it's a Marxist analysis of a class system. It's not just about how much money you have. It's about taste and it's about culture and it's about sort of kind of cultural, he calls it cultural capital. So there is cultural capital, which is, you know, the knowledge of certain kind of, you know, cultural forms. Then you have social capital, which was all about, you know, who your friends are and what sort of kind of favors you can get. And then there is the economic capital. And he, he talks about, you know, he talks about forms of translation from one form of capital to another. But the main argument is, that education is only reserved for those ones that already kind of um, come from a sort of kind of middle class background. And at, at least that was the case for France in the 1960s. And it was also kind of true for Germany and I suppose for England as well. Uh, now it's not anymore. So that has changed. Um, I, and he I mean... argues that this, this system sort of, you know, that works via certification of degrees, sort of kind of really keep, keeps the class system alive. I, d- I honestly think, uh, Andreas, it, it still exists. I mean, I've got a lot of experience teaching in American high schools, and you can tell when you ask the students what books they have read. So I teach, I taught at these elite high schools that students came from all over the state from, and you can tell in 10th grade, the the students who were on a on a clear course to something like the Ivy League uh, have definitely read Shakespeare, and some of the other ones have not read mm-hmm. Shakespeare in that sense. So, listeners, the, the the idea is, at some point, you're going to find yourself in a meeting, you know, with a senator or a CEO or something, and that senator is going to quote Hamlet, and yes. you're going to know Hamlet, and now you're in the club, whereas the poor bastard across the way from you looks get, has a blank look when Hamlet is quoted, and that guy's not going to get the promotion. That's, See, that's, that's, you, that's called you in a nutshell. Exactly. And it, <laughs> that's and, exactly and, what, he, what, he, what he talks about. And I don't think this is confined to France in the 60s. I do think, I don't think it's certainly as strong in America in 2021 as it was in France in the 60s. But I do think this idea of cultural capital still exists and is an, oh, another absolutely. way that, that, you know, that expertise uh, can be used to re- reinforce these, these kind of things we don't like this this sort of caste system mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i don't know shall i come back to the kind of education thing yes and yes let's do that gift, gift, yes. gift thing. so i was kind of doing a lot of work on on the commons and on commoning and and that means i was kind of reading up on on gift economies on marcel maus who is the kind of you know godfather of anthropological thought um on on gift societies and um um, I was kind of very inspired by a book by Lewis Hyde. It's called The Gift, um, in which he sort of kind of expands a little bit on, on, on Maus and says that gifts do not have to kind of be reciprocated di- directly. They can sort of circulate in, in, in communities. And um, so you sort of kind of pass it on. Um, and um, he studied, uh, he's an anthropologist and he studied that. Um, and he starts, he starts his 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 book um, thinking about art, where he says art usually exists in sort of Western um, societies and democracies, economies. It exists in two economies. It exists in a, in a sort of capitalist economy where you where those ones that have the money can buy art, but it also exists in a gift economy. And he says that art can art can exist without the gift without the capitalist economy but it cannot it cannot exist without the gift economy and the explanation is 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 very simple he says um even if you pay for a museum entrance um what you get is not sort of kind of you know the the value for your money um, you know, you might pay something, but you know what you get is um, a gift. If 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 the um, work of art 
resonates with you. So there, there is a condition of, you know, if it touches you. If it touches you, it, it, it makes you think, it makes you feel, it, um, may, it, it transforms your, yourself. Um, then, you know, art is, is part of this kind of gift economy where, where you receive something, where you kind of, you know, you, where you experience gratefulness for what you're receiving and where you then pass it on, where you talk to your friends about what you've seen and, and what it did to you. And, um, and, and I was thinking, this is exactly true. This is also true for education. So um, while we get paid as lecturers and readers and professors and associate professors um, and, 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 and do a job, um, we, 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 we try to inspire students. We try to kind of, we, we try to give them something that, you know, ideally they remember for not just kind of a week or two or a year, but, you know, maybe for a little bit longer. And, um, and it doesn't have to kind of be many occasions and, and maybe we don't reach that many students anymore, but when our education resonates with the students, then we have given them a gift. So the kind of the concept of ref resonance is very important for this. Um, and this is this is really how how I started to write about it as a gift, and then kind of how, how in the next step, been thinking about whether it's possible to set up um, a higher education system as a commons. Yes. Okay. So I want to get that in a second because it does seem, first of all. You're, I could not agree more with you about the way that education works as a gift. And then there is the um, there there is the simple fact that I you know you also need the salary. You 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 have to get paid um, unless you unless you have the wealth to to do education purely on some sort of volunteer basis. And that does seem to immediately create the problem that that we will talk about in a second, which is education cannot be a gift if there is some sort of managerial or technocratic. Um, injunction against the kind of gift you want to to give, which is really why I left the classroom because the administrator said, "This is what, what what are you doing? This isn't the kind of education you're supposed to be giving these students." And the students said, "Well, this is a wonderful gift. This is what we want." But the administrator said, "This is it doesn't matter that it's what it's what you want." And once it ceased to be a gift, I I left. Uh, I left. I quit. Uh, I'm I'm doing this podcast, and maybe I'll do some boring job and make three times as much money. But if it's not a gift, I didn't want to be a part of the system. Um, the other thing I just want to say, and this is a, I know I have some of my professors listen to this podcast. I wouldn't be here, certainly, if I had not had that moment of resonance, if I had not had that time in the classroom, in high school, undergraduate and, and grad school, feeling, realizing the, the gift that I was being given, the the community that I was joining. For me, for better or for worse, it was English professors who I, you know, got this resonance from. And that's why I ended up in the in the English department. And it was a it was a gift to me from them. And that's what I wanted to give to my students. I find it really interesting what you just said, you know, how some administrators can tell you what to teach students and what not. So you can say, but this is what students like. And they say, we don't Give a shit about what you think what students like you know we um we just tell you you can't do that. <laughs> that that in itself is kind of you know it's really it's really sort of kind of you know you 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 just kind of you know rub your eyes in disbelief you know um but this is where we are <laughs> oh believe me i rubbed my eyes in disbelief for a long time before before i realized they were serious i was like well, I, um but this is but this is the idea that that you and I have corresponded a little about a little bit this idea of a free and autonomous universe at this point the danger is we are giving this gift but it is attached to a paycheck and uh and and in that way this gift is being commodified and we are being commodified and boy the students are commodities especially at a high school the goal of the school you know, one of the things they said to me when they said, we don't like your teaching was like, you're, you're not preparing them for college, which, which was not true. But that's, that, that, that's besides the point. The point was, it was not, they're not learning. It was, you're not, you, you need to set them on this path to, 
success. And that success was not was not defined by commoning or or a gift. It was designed by wealth, prestige, that that sort of thing. And mm. I'm I'm looking for a way out of that, Andreas. And and in some of your work, I found some some interesting ways to think about that. Mm. So do you want me to say something about free yes. autonomous university? Yeah, if you or or, um, or, what, or what, however you think we can preserve education as as a gift um, at, within the system we are in, or or an alternative system. So, what I found kind of interesting when I did some research is that there is there was a remarkable number of initiatives, especially in 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 Europe and. Um, especially in the UK and in the United States, to create these free and autonomous universities. One of them was the Free University of San Francisco. I, um, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, looked kind of quite, um, quite a bit into, into that institution. And it was all about teaching on the street, you know, um, about even kind of outside the classroom, you know, whoever kind of, you know, wanted to kind of be part of it, um, Let's do this. And um, in the UK, there were kind of some initiatives. And I think the ones that I that I kind of liked most was um, not too far away from Nottingham um, in Lincoln, which is about, you know, one and a half hours driving, um, the Social Science Center. And that was kind of created by mainly by Marxist anarchist educators who said, well, we just, we have a space and um, we will teach students and we will not, we will give them um, a certificate, but it will be a sort of kind of certificate that um, talks about, you know, talks about what they have learned in a, in a different way than saying, you know, this was... Um, a, a low commendation or a, you know <laughs> or, or you know whatever or a high pass you know um they they have kind of you know they have kind of decided you know to kind of write reports with a, together with the students about um and and i thought and there were about there were maybe sort of you know five six core people and then maybe on the periphery there was another five or six who have decided okay I'll do a course here, I'll do a module um, in terms of, you know, just kind of giving my knowledge to students. And um, and for and for good numbers, it, it, it worked quite well and I kind of knew them quite well. Um, and I, I, I have never sort of kind of really believed that they have really a chance to <laughs> keep this going. Um, because they were all stuck, they none of them could really afford to mm. to say, okay, I don't need the money anymore. I'll leave university. I dedicate myself to to this. So what they were doing is they they had their daytime job, and then they had this kind of other thing, which initially they of course enjoyed immensely, and it was like a hobby. It was really like they told me how much pleasure it gave them, but after a few years, it was clear that there is a form of labor involved and if 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 we cannot if we cannot sort this problem out that this free university is an island surrounded by a capitalist sea then it's very very hard to kind of you know keep the island so i think you could of course um you could create these free universities but people would have to be secure when it comes to their when it comes to their their living so if they would sort of kind of get a i don't know a general income you know um something like this um something that keeps them kind of you know many including myself if the income would be good enough for me to feed my family my kids um bring them up of course i would i would leave the kind of you know university tomorrow but as that's not the case, it all rests on enthusiasm. And it's very hard to keep projects going that are just kind of based on enthusiasm. And that's kind of one of the things that I've kind of, you know, been 
thinking a lot about the kind of, you know, digital commons and digital commoning, where also a lot was initially based on enthusiasm and, and things died eventually. So um, I am fairly, I love the kind of idea, but I, I do not see a route to kind of, you know, and eventually, of course, you know, it did, it has been sort of kind of, um, it did die um, a death um, after maybe six, seven, eight years. Um, and, and um, you know, I, 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 I experienced that with great sadness, but it didn't really come to me as a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, so I worked on some of these issues with a group of my high school students in a class called the the meritocracy, um, and we ended up reading David Graeber's bullshit jobs. And at the end, the students said, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> and at the end, the students, you know, we read the chapter on universal basic income, and the students said at the end, "Yeah, this is the only thing that matters, right? Everything we talked about before, all the criticisms of the system do not matter." because the system of credentialization and elite education is how you get money and jobs and jobs is how you get a prestige in the meaning of life and b food. And they just sort of said, you know, if we had universal basic income, we could throw away the first 11 weeks of this class. And if you don't have universal basic income, you can also throw away the first 11 weeks of this class. And it all depends. Um, it all depends. And again, this was the argument against my teaching from my school is like, wait, 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 maybe this teaching is great, but it's not what the students need to, to move up the chain to get what they want. And this and this anxiety is very is very real and justified. If you don't get the right education, who cares what you learn? But if you don't have the right credentials, you won't get the right job and then you will not feed your family. And the, the, and the desire to feed one's family is not, that is not an inappropriate desire, but that fear, that anxiety we all have seems to be the thing that's preventing this kind of, this kind of education. Um, yeah. but, but I don't. I think it would be a boring podcast if we just said, "Oh, uh, we need universal basic income, and then everything would be fine." The end. That wouldn't. That wouldn't lead to an interesting conversation. I don't. Think. I am not even sure if everything would be fine, as long as long as we 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 you know, as long as we would have universal 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 basic um, income within a capitalist system, mm. um, we could hardly survive on it. I I bet this would happen. So. <laughs> I would, I would, I would rather probably, in in sort of kind of a little bit disagreeing with uh, Greber and others. I would probably, even though I kind of you know really like the idea, obviously, but I think a better a better way to kind of go about it is to offer free transport, you know, free education, free food, free heating, you know, all the kind of you know all these needs, free internet, and then you know. Um, on top of that, we can then sort of kind of, you know, find ways where we could still have some sort of trades and exchanges, um, whatever, you know. Yeah, um, this is uh, this is definitely one of the one of the one of the maybe like most interesting and least important aspects of left wing thinking of what, you know, how in, in a world in which we collectively provide for everyone, what would be the best way to do that? Because, mm. the, because the tricky part is not the best way to do that, but the, the worldwide commitment to provide for everyone. I think that's what's missing. And I think we could work the other stuff out. You know, can, I, I totally <laughs> agree with you. Yes, this is, the, this is really the problem. You know, there is and nobody has an answer to that. Um, it seems like we, I don't know. I mean, it seems it seems to me like we can't we can't create this world. I think we have to sort of we just have to kind of wait longer and longer for this system to crumble until this is the this is the late capitalism ar argument. I this this is a Marxist argument that I'm not I'm not particularly convinced by. Oh, any okay. any day now, any day now, the system's going to break down <laughs> and. It is breaking. It is breaking um, already. I think, um, but um, I think you know this is this is where the kind of you know struggles come about. But it's very, it's very, yeah, it's very difficult. We cannot just wait, obviously, but we at the same time cannot. Nobody has an idea. Oh, so what are we doing? You know, I mean, Greber had some ideas. Um, a debt strike, which um, which is really interesting, but. Again, you know, in order to kind of, you know, make it happen, you need to kind of convince a broad part of the population to kind of, you know, participate. 
in it. And um, so it seems like so. Let's talk about then the uh, perhaps lost optimism of the digital commons, because that is one of the dreams of the internet. Right? Was that it would have made worldwide or organization possible. I mean, I can certainly imagine this vision, but it, it doesn't seem to have come a, a, about. So do you have thoughts on this and why it didn't come about? Or if if the internet can still be a valuable tool for this kind of this kind of organization? Yes, I I do I do have um I do have thoughts on 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 that. I mean it was Jochai Benkler who who initiated the sort of kind of term um uh um, commons-based peer production, which was, okay, now that we have YouTube, we can all produce outside a capitalist economy. And um, and that was a beautiful insight, and it was true. So there was a lot of kind of um, people who thought, wow, you know, this opens up possibilities that are, that are limitless, that are, you know, we can really, we can really kind of, you know, create a totally different world with um, with these digital technologies and um, with social media. There were two flagship projects that have been endlessly quoted. One of them was the um, was uh, Wikipedia as a as a form of knowledge commons, and the other one was free and open source software mm. as a sort of kind of. Um, information commons, software commons. And and both of these projects have been very successful and, and still are. The problem is um, they have never, that the digital commons has never kind of really moved much beyond that. Mm. So let's give you an example. Why does a writer, why does, you know, someone like Jonathan Franzen who kind of spends 10 years on a book, why does he not decide to just publish it, let's say, in the Creative Commons with a kind of, you know, license that is available for everyone and everybody can share it and everybody can read the book for free. Well, the answer is, is that he wants to make sure that he can live mm -hmm. as a writer. So he needs, maybe he doesn't need all the money, maybe he's kind of rich enough now, you know, but um, initially that was, you know, that was um, the case. So lots of kind of people who, who produce cultural products, music, film, um, whatever. Film is massively expensive, you know. Video games, you know, even more expensive. Um, they, they can't just say, okay, um, let's put it, let's give it a kind of, you know, a Creative Commons license so that everybody can kind of access it for free. Um, it undermines their, this, in the same way that we talked about um, the Social Science Center in Lincoln, or um, free and autonomous universities. Uh, if you don't get paid for the labor, and and you and you live in this kind of you know capitalism, then you can't really do this. And and the reason why it works with Wikipedia, and it works why with uh, free and open source software is very simple. If if you contribute to Wikipedia, you um, you don't do this um, as someone who thinks, okay, I want to kind of really help Wikipedia to grow. So what I'll do now is um, I spend my weekends and evenings to kind of, you know, write about something that hasn't been, that nobody kind of, you know, wrote about and then include a new entry. You're very likely to do this if you're already kind of a specialist. So, you know, if you... If you um, have a, let's say, you write an entry on globalization, you know, it's very likely that you are an academic and not a shopkeeper, taxi driver, cleaning woman, <laughs> air hostess, um, and no disrespect to them, but that's not that's not their, their, their expertise. So they couldn't do this. So it's very likely that academics would sort of kind of contribute to, you know, to kind of the the growth of Wikipedia, um, but they get paid anyway. Yes, uh, I think so Louis Manon again that brings argument. us to this, and it's yeah. the it's the same principle with free and open source software. There is a lot of kind of people, uh, programmers, that have jobs that get paid, 
and then they but they publish the open source code and that's nice and sometimes they get even fundings from google from ibm from kind of others to exactly do this but no, nobody would fund a writer to publish his her novel with a kind of you know with a kind of license that um gives gives it away for free and and if you kind of you know expand on it a little bit more if you think about pharma industry no they don't give away their their patents so that the the rest of the world can get their vaccine you know no matter how the whole world wants that they will not do that and this is the situation we're in so um um, I've, I've, I was for a long time very kind of optimistic about, you know, the, the potential, but I'm not anymore. I think um, it's, a, it's, it's really limited to kind of, you know, some areas, but it doesn't really produce, you know, um, a transformation um, that is needed. Yeah. One of my most recent guests, his book, his last book uh, was called The Death of the Artist by William Derezowitz, and it is, it is precisely about this issue. So in some ways the old the old bad corporations were were smashed and now anyone can publish their book for free. But the only people who have made money off this is is Google and and Amazon. Less money is actually flowing to the authors even though we have these tools that seem to offer the capability of this of this massive freedom and all it has really resulted in is fewer people getting paid. And and honestly, fewer authors getting paid. Franzen is Franzen is an exception. The middle class, uh, Derezowitz's argument, which is very convincing, is the middle class of cultural producers of artists has has disappeared. And that money went that money went to Amazon and and Google. It didn't go to it didn't go to Simon and Schuster, but it certainly didn't go to the writers. Um, yes, and I think Menand has made Louis Menand at Harvard has made the same argument about Wikipedia. That Wikipedia is essentially parasitic. The these these institutions are creating all of this knowledge, and they're paying people to create this knowledge. And then, in sort of their spare time, the people are putting this knowledge on Wikipedia. And then, sort of everyone everyone wins with the with the knowledge. I guess it's all accessible. But in the meantime, Encyclopedia Britannica struggles enormously, and all sorts of people who would have gotten paid for doing this kind of work are now being put out of business by the people who are doing it for free. Mm -hmm. And this is where the gift, this is where the gift becomes this pernicious thing that it crowds out the, the worker. Um, but I don't want, but I want to keep the gift with that. I want to keep the gift. Absolutely. I don't I'm want to give you another, I'm going to give you yeah. another example when it comes to what I call the knowledge commons, which is um, academic publishing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we would have, the possibilities now to publish because we get paid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We would have the kind of possibilities to ditch, you know, Sage and Elsevier and Rutledge and, you know, and all the kind of publishers that kind of, you know, try to kind of make money on, on our, on our, on our label. The problem is it doesn't happen because um, it does happen. So lots of kind of, you know, academics have kind of created uh, journals, some as individual main editors, others as an editorial collective. Um, I have a, a good number of kind of, you know, examples, and these journals are actually really good, you know. Um, but they are not considered, even though they are good, they are not considered to be part of this kind of star system, four star, mm -hmm. three star, whatever. So you publish in them, you publish an article in them, ha happened to me a number of times. And you know, your article gets devalued because you have chosen chosen this site, you know, to kind of publish. So again, you know, academia, they kind of line up, they sort of kind of, they are now used to kind of, you know, living in a capitalist world, most of them accept it. Those ones that kind of want to break out are in a minority and they then face obstacles um, that if they kind of keep doing it, makes their life harder. So I found it very, you know, you 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 had a look at this kind of um, at at at, um, 
at an article on the on the workplace commons i really hated myself for publishing it in the journal sociology which is the the you know it's the best journal journal sociological journal in the uk the 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 most respected one but it's it's owned by sage and sage wants to make wants to make money um from um you know intellectual labor and um i only did it because of very selfish interests which is about kind of my academic career and um which doesn't look very great anyway you know but um i <laughs> 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 but you know i thought okay i need i need an article kind of in a kind of highly respected journal and that is sad you know that is sad but these are the kind of you know these this is the reality and and um this is why you know it's nice to dream about the digital comments and and all this but you know as i think you have said this in an, in an email to me you know the digital technologies they they are not just kind of they cannot just kind of used for the good you know yeah. they they are very ambiguous they and and we can see more and more how how capitalist economies have taken hold of them yeah well this i mean in some ways this goes back to the hand washing uh and the world health organization in that this i have no doubt that this little podcast has been listened to many more times than any of the articles I I, I ever wrote. But uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't count if I were a tenure track faculty member. I could be reaching thousands of people as I am with this podcast. But if I got something published in the right journal that you know, might be read only by dozens of people, that would be that would be worth more. And the people who are making the decisions they are not interested in actually having the knowledge reach people they're interested in perpetuating the system that is rewarding them and you, it keeps going back to this as long as you know you say you say it's selfish it's not selfish andreas for you to want to keep your job which which feeds you and provides you shelter and also does the same for your children that's a, we, we we cannot ask people everyone to you know to live under the the bridge teaching until until capitalism collapses that is that is not an option certainly i will i will not judge you for publishing uh in in sage no i mean i'm i i didn't mean it like that you know but i, I you know you have the choice and um and sometimes i do it but not 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 all the times and um it doesn't make me feel good you know to that's all i can say because um as an activist I would like to kind of publish in a way where kind of the sort of kind of knowledge that I produce is always available to everybody or not mm -hmm. just to kind of some university students while they're while they're paying their fees and um you know th that that system in itself is 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 insane you know there is no there's no other way to kind of you know <laughs> to, to to describe that to lock it away like this Yes, I know. I, I I agree. It is insane. Except as we've said, it, it it serves to perpetuate the system that 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 creates this knowledge. But that is, we are certainly not living in the best way of of perpetuating now the current the current system. So what uh, we're as we're running out of time here, Andreas, um, what do what what should we what should we do? I mean, I qu I quit my job and started a podcast. I don't think that's necessarily uh, uh, going to save the world. What 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 can we do as we are in these systems that as i think we've we mentioned certainly in an email these systems do depend on us giving gifts going above and beyond and yet in some ways they they, they seem to parasitize our our gifts our emotion our care our support for one another so i'm 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 looking for some suggestions you know and i and i wish i had them i think i think that i think that the that this critique that you know the system depends on it is is right but i also see that the system turns the world of work more and more in a in a form of slavery where um where it doesn't depend on our gifts anymore where, where it just forces people to do stuff um via all sorts of kind of you know bureaucratic 
mechanisms and processes. Um, so I think, you know, I, I cannot, I think it will eventually crumble. I don't know how and, and, and how all is this, how, how I do not have an answer, but I, I, you know, as I said earlier to you, I'm, I'm really kind of changing direction at the moment and write about the climate change. I'm responding to a call that's called living with extinction, which mm. is something that I've been thinking about a lot um, as someone who has kind of small children, you know, being up at night and having, having sort of kind of um, thoughts that, or not, not thoughts, you know, having sort of kind of emotions that are not, not nice. And then I thought, okay, you know, rather than being up at night, you know, why not collect your thoughts and, and do mm -hmm. something on this. So eventually I think, you know, it can, it's, it's either too late or not, you know, but extinction is not um, one point in time, you know, mm -hmm. it's a long process and, you know, over the last 40 years, half of animal species have already been extinct. So, you know, we're, we're, we're right in the middle of it already. Um, and and um, um, eventually, eventually there will have to kind of come an, um, an, 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 you know, an awareness that we have to kind of fight fossil capital, that we have to kind of fight the oil industry, you know, that we that we do not just say, oh, yeah, it's us humans who've kind of created this mess. It's a class thing, uh, you know, as a, as a Marxist, as an anarchist Marxist, you know. <laughs> um, I, 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 think, I think the kind of struggles are intensifying. And um, we've seen this, we've seen this after the kind of, you know, crisis, after the financial crisis in, in 2008 with with Occupy, with the Arab Spring, you know, and then we had we had these kind of fights in Turkey and Brazil and 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 all over. And so I, I um, in the long run, I am hopeful. I am hopeful that um, that you know, capital will not win this. Um, will 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 not succeed. But I, I unfortunately, and I wish I could, but I can't. Sort of kind of project away and say this is what we need to do <laughs> well actually you know i do i do like this you know i think i said early in our conversation that i don't believe this sort of marxist narrative that capitalism is going to you know fall apart but from an environmental standpoint and this is where you know kropotkin is maybe more valuable than someone like marx from an environmental standpoint it will it has to. It can't. This this kind of exploitation cannot continue. And the billionaire fantasy that we can just go to space and get some resources, which is maybe just the billionaire fantasy that they can go to space and leave us behind. That that is a fantasy. And can so I, then, go ahead. Can I just show you a beautiful book? Um, it's called Capitalism in the Web of Life by Jason Jason Moore. Um, he talks about cheap nature. He talks about how cheap capital nature. has produced cheap nature in all sorts of ways when it comes to food, when it comes to resources such as oil, when it comes to, you know, uh, anything really. And, and he says, we are now at the point where, we, where the costs of, of further creating cheap nature are not really um, mm. doing anything anymore. They will only kind of, you know, they will only um, make everything kind of, you know, worse and, and more expensive. So um, there is a sort of kind of hope in there that um, even though it might be, you know, very, very late, that um, a, a change of direction will will have to kind of happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I will, I, I, will, I will take this as hope. The, the system is going to destroy the the very ecology that sustains humanity so that is that is right there the death of the system and we just simply need to remind everyone of this and then remind them that people for centuries have been proposing all, an, an, a, another way and then we have to try and where, wherever wherever we sit we have to try and create that other world and you're right that the the activists have have been have been doing it at least since the wto in seattle and we just have to have to keep doing it. I agree. I agree.
<laughs> All right. It's nice, well, I... it's nice to end hopeful, isn't it? You yes. Don't want to, yes. Well, hope, you don't hope. want to end in this. Um, in this well you know it's all going it's all falling apart and there's nothing we can do um which is kind of you know quite often how i think so i would but, say it is but, all falling apart you are right but there are things there are things we can there are things we can do and from an ecological standpoint marx was right the system does contain within it the seeds of its own destruction if you are killing the bees to create flowers you will soon find yourself with no bees and no flowers. That yes. cannot continue. Yes, but also, you know, if you think that you could sort of kind of do the, you know, that you could trade um, carbon, you know, emissions and kind of, you know, say, okay, you are the poorer countries, you don't need that many, so we pay <laughs> you so that we can have more. I mean, that is the kind of, you know, already kind of form of insanity where you kind of think, hey, you know, this, this cannot, this cannot, um, I mean, in the, in, in the UK, you know, a, a nice way of, of creating cheap nature uh, or a nice example is that just a couple of uh, weeks ago, the UK parliament has, um, has passed a bill where um, just kind of, you know, putting sewage in, in rivers and lakes and, and all that stuff is okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the good, the, the interesting thing is that um, the the population doesn't like that anymore. Yeah. So let's see what happens. <laughs> good, good. Let's let's see what happens. Wonderful, Andreas. Thank you, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a pleasure. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to that i must say it was an absolute pleasure to talk to andreas i just wanted him to give me a little bit more hope about what we can do to reclaim society but uh you heard him the answer is that we have to destroy capitalism or as i prefer to call it managerial feudalism by forms of a universal basic income or guaranteed food and shelter. However you do it, I don't care, people. Just get out there and do it. So thanks so much to Andreas. And now please email me if you have any questions or comments at everydayanarchismpodcast at gmail.com. This is also the part of the show where I remind you that this is a totally listener-supported podcast. No sponsors, no ads, no grants, no paywall. So for the show to endure, I need listener contributions. Please go to everydayanarchism.com if you can make a monthly donation. If you're unable to make a monthly donation, you can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, telling a friend, sharing it on social media, and any other way you can think to get the word out. Thank you so much. All that's left to say is that the music, which you're about to hear, is by David Hill.